So we are starting a new series this morning I'm really excited about, and it's called, I'll show you, there, there it is, The Gospel of John and the Life of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at John's Gospel for the next four weeks, and as I mentioned last week, we could actually do this Gospel, we could really take a year to do it, because it's just so full of so many good things, but we're going to really just kind of give an overview and specifically look at, at Jesus in, in the Gospel of John. And uh, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at his life, which is today, his ministry, his death and resurrection, and his ascension. And so these are like all key um, moments and understandings in the Gospel um, as, as you read through all the Gospels. It's like th- those are like the main tenets of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be looking at Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension, um, especially within the Gospel of John to help us give not only, uh, you know, a more foundation for, for, for our faith in Christ and our, and, our, and our life in Christ, but also uh, to help us continue to move forward in walking with Christ. So um, today we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus specifically um, as opposed to his ministry and, or, or his death and resurrection or, or his ascension, specifically his life. Um, and what's really important is that as we, as we look at this, it's important that we are modeling Jesus, not replicating Jesus. And so often um, when, I, when I engage in conversation with people, it's like, well, you know, Jesus did this. And it's like, yes, Jesus did that. And so we have to be able to have, you know, understand the fine line between modeling his life, his life as a model, and becoming more like him, and actually like being him. And so that's going to be really important. So let's start off with John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when Jesus said this, he was talking to the disciples. They had just finished a bunch of ministry. They're tired, you know, ready to take a break. And uh, the disciples went out to go get some food, and Jesus was hanging out um, by this uh, water well. And, and so they came back, and do you, they're like, Jesus, you hungry? He's like, I'm fine. Like, and so they're thinking, did someone bring him food? And so Jesus is like, no, my food is to do the will of the Father. So as Jesus talks about his food here, it's kind of a play on words, right? To describe what food provides. And that's what? Fuel, energy, satisfaction, life. Biologically, food is not optional, right? Like we, it, it's a must. It's our source. Like literally, not figuratively, literally our source. It keeps us alive. So what does this mean for us? Jesus here is talking about those who live in the kingdom of God. For us, it's clear the very source of our life comes from doing the will of God. Now, we're not here to finish God's work. That's where kind of our paths diverge, and this is where we're modeling and not replicating. Our job is not to finish God's work, but to partner with him and to do it. And so what is God's will? That we would know him and, and make him known that we would work with him to reconcile all creation and humankind back to God. That we would bring light in all that is dark. And this can manifest in so many ways in our lives, but this is the core of it. You know, it's, 
people say all the time, you know, I, I, I want to know God's will for my life. And, and often what people are asking is like for a direct like line, <laughs> like a direct, all right, here's step one. You're going to do this for the next two years. After this, you're going to do this. And that's not where we're going to get into. I, I want to talk about the big pictures, which is to know him and to make him known. And through that, it's going to become very clear what God's will for your life is. Um, does everyone, has anyone heard of the composer Handel? So, famous composer, if, um, and he wrote this famous piece called The Messiah, right? And I actually have the vinyl of The Messiah, and it's really cool. You should come over and listen to it with me. Um, this piece just has a special place and music in general, just in, in music history, it has a special place. And, and among Christians, it has a special place. Um, the early performances of this piece raised money for charity. Wherever this, this, this piece was played around the world, it was like somehow through this music, the story of Jesus was told and people responded. Like it just, it didn't make sense. It's just like people experience the reality of the sacrifice and love of Jesus through listening to this music. What's fascinating is that Handel wrote this in a very short time. It only took him a few weeks to write this piece. And he would go long periods of time throughout this three-week period, three- to four-week period, without food. Like, he just wouldn't eat. He spoke afterwards that this time was a wonderful, exalted, heavenly vision. What I love about kind of what, what happened there in this story is that Handel was just, he was clearly doing just God's work in that moment, right? I mean, so much so that it sustained him and where it's there, he just forgot to eat, <laughs> you know? He didn't need his biological source because his heavenly source supplied him. Wouldn't it be cool if we could have that same type of experience with God? Well, we can say like Jesus said, my food comes from doing the will of God. You know, and, and right now in today's just world, especially in, in, in Western culture, we're just, we're more tired these days, Yeah. I mean, I think we're more tired than ever before. We work more. We, we do all these things, and, and expectations keep growing. With every new technological inv uh, innovation, the expectation of the human worker grows tenfold. We have to be able to discover the life-giving and exalting food of Christ. And so we're going to go through a little bit how this morning. And we have to also break, so one of the things we have to do first is we have to break out of this idea and framework that our call has to line up with our profession. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge this, this, this idea a little bit right now because it's, it's, it's run rampant in our culture and in our, in our identity um, as a country that, you know, we... My, my call in Christ and my profession have to be the same thing. Now, you're like saying, Jeremy, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> you're full-time ministry. 
and that's true. But that wasn't always the case. And, you know, I started, when, when I started in a whole nother field. I started working in, in, in music and, and, and film and in that whole world, and, and that was my full-time work. And that was, at the time, my calling. And I can go for hours. And it was just, it gave me so much life. And then I started working in ministry, and I was like, oh, so this is also my calling. But my ministry wasn't my full-time job for the majority of my, my working life. And so I, I, I say that with, with all conviction. No matter, sometimes you get to have the job and the calling in one. And that's great. I mean, that's awesome, and, and there's, there's, no neg- there's no, like, I'm not downplaying that at all, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And for most people in the world who are fulfilling God's mission, it doesn't work out that way. And so to be able to, to kind of get out of this mindset that I have to find a job that lines up with my calling, is that's going to that's gonna inhibit us. And so... Whatever your job is, great. Do that. Do it well. But there's more that God has. And working in your spiritual gifts and and working, you know, in the body and and, and doing ministry and and doing life with people, that calling is going to give you more than you can possibly imagine. Y'all with me so far? Okay. So before we move on, I want to talk about John the Baptist. Uh, he shows us, before Jesus even began his ministry, how to begin living out our calling. Now, a couple of things about John the Baptist. Some of you know this, some of you may not. John the Baptist is not the same John that wrote this gospel. Okay? So he was, he was very different. Um, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he was a prophet, and his call was to prepare the way for Jesus. So let's look at John 3, 27. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what he has given, what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. I really love John the Baptist. So as I mentioned, he was a prophet, and he, he was a known man of God and Israel at this time. And I mean, so much so that people started wondering, like, is this the prompt? Like, is, is that the one? <laughs> And he had disciples, and you got to remember that, you know, we look at disciples and like kind of the special thing, but disciples, it was just a common thing. They were like an apprentice. Every, you know, rabbis had disciples, prophets had disciples. And so John the Baptist had disciples. And so there was a time when, when people would come to him and say, are you the Messiah? Which is really interesting to me. I mean, that, that shows you the impact of his ministry. And the first thing he said, I am not the Messiah. And so just to kind of give, just a, I, I want to give some, some groundwork for this because often when we, 
if you've been in church for a long time and you read like a lot of like kind of focus around the New Testament, it's, it's like, oh, obviously the Messiah is the Son of God. But when, if you pull out a little bit, it actually wasn't obvious for the people of Israel. There was nothing that was clear in the Hebrew Bible that says the Messiah was going to be the Son of God. And so that was just kind of a, a surprising turn <laughs> for them, which is why it was so uh, difficult for people to accept Jesus. And so it's not that people, that people thought John the Baptist was the Son of God. They thought he was the Messiah. And so and John had all of this ministry happening and doing all these good things, and he's saying, no, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. John knew who he was and what he was supposed to do. In a world of me and getting what I need, this is a profound reminder. You know, on one hand, of course, no one here thinks they're the Messiah. If you do, then we should talk after about that. Often, though, we can have a Messiah complex, and that's common in, 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 in affluent countries. Like, and we, we end up trying to do good things, many good things with good intentions, but we end up causing harm to ourselves or others because we've misunderstood our true place. On the other hand, we live in a time and place of putting self in center, There's only one sin. In order to live out our calling, we must be able to continually take our eyes off ourselves. And John the Baptist just does that in such a great way. When we do, we find out that we're taken care of better by God than we are by ourselves. That's where, like, a lot of this comes from, right? Like, a lot of our internal kind of anxieties about us and like, and, and look, I struggle with this too. It's just like, you know, do I have what I need or what are, what are they thinking, you know, about how I did this and, and all these different things, when that becomes so much, that occupies so much of our day, it's because we, we want to be safe, right? We want to be secure. But who can do that better than God? And how much more can he do when we take our eyes off ourselves and focus on him? See, John the Baptist pointed towards Jesus. I'm going to shorten his name. I'm going to call him JTB. I think he'll be cool with it. JTB elevated Jesus. That's what he did. JTB reflected all attention away from himself towards Jesus. And he was considered the greatest prophet. So someone with this stature who easily could have accepted all the attention and all the praise continually reflected and pointed back to Jesus. We do this. We point towards Jesus not by trying to force someone to convert to Christianity. We do this by living our lives like Jesus. And that's why we're looking at his life today. And when God moves, and he will, people around us will respond, and then we can make an introduction. A lot of that has to be done what John talked about here. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. We have to be content with, with, with the call what God has put on our lives or just where he has us. So when I started in ministry uh, 11, 12 years ago, I started working in youth ministry. And I loved youth ministry and loved it then. 
And it was, it was great because for me, the teenage years were just a pivotal point in my life. It was like literally life or death. That was, I mean, that was what it was like for me as a teenager. I, it, you know, I was going one way or another. And, and so it was pivotal. And, and so I just loved doing youth ministry, loved working with high schoolers. But yet there was something in me that just was ready for more. And God had to sit me down and share with me, he's like, Jeremy, are you okay if I never take you from where you are now? And I was like, I want to say yes. But no, I wasn't. I wanted what I wanted. And so to be able, and so that, I mean, that was a clear, see, God asks these open-ended questions that just like make you like, turn on it for like the next six months, <laughs> right? I had to really wrestle with that and say, okay, am I content here? Or how can I be content here? Let me stop pulling for more and just use what he has given me in this place, in this moment, in this time. When I finally was able to do that, and then after some more time, then he was like, okay, now it's time. Now that you're content, now it's time to go to the next, to the next place. And so it's not that, that what was in me, that desire that was in me was wrong or not from God. It was. But if I was trying to work out of that and not be content with what he had given me, it would become more about me and I wouldn't be reflecting him. And, he, and, that's, and that's a continual thing for me. And so being able to, to say, yes, I am good with where you have me, like to be able to say, yes, I am good with the influence you've given me, I'm good with the people you put around me and the call you have given my life, no matter what that person is doing or what that person is doing or, or what I see from this person, but just for what you are asking me to do, then, then God's like, okay, now we can roll. You know what I'm saying? And then John the Baptist says, I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. That's a good thing to ask yourselves at the end of the day. Did I become less today? Or did I become more today and Jesus became less? I kind of ask myself sometimes every few hours. Or I know, like, midday, I was like, yo, I was not less today. I was more. I was a little much. You know? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I guess I'm the only one that struggles with this. Man, y'all so good. All right, John 5, 16, moving on. Um, so Jesus... Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In our life, in the kingdom, our, our identity matters. 
Jesus continually referred to God as Father and continued to refer to himself as Son. He understood who he was at his core. Now, as Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders here, this is really important because before Jesus, God considered Israel, like collectively Israel, his son. Right? So it was common. I was still there. And then God moved me on. Because we, what that, that desire I had was from him, but it wasn't until I was ready that he was going to move me on because I had to be content with how he made me and who he made me and not wanting to be someone else. And then I love the way John ends it. I must become less. That's a good question to ask at the end of the day. You know, did I become less or did, did I become more so Jesus was less? Sometimes I got to ask my question that every few hours, you know, those harder days. Like, man, that, that meeting, that conversation, was I, was I less or was I more? Often I'm more. Often I'm a little much. <laughs> All right, let's look at John 5, 16 to 18. So Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but even, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus continually referred to God as father and himself as son. Jesus understood who he was at, at his core. You see, it's important to understand in Israel, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, but before Jesus came, Israel understood itself as God's son. That's how God referred to Israel. He said, Israel, collectively, you are my son. And so it was common to say the father, right? It was common to say, you know, the father says this, the father does that. But Jesus changed the language. He said, my father, my dad, that's who I am. And they lost their minds. Jesus understood that he was his son at his core. You know, can I I really grasp that I am a son of God, that I am a daughter of God, that I am that precious to him? You see, our our identities today are shaped by and often dictated to us by our culture and the way we grow up and the expectations and identifying markers of society and the portrayals of what should be in all forms of media. We're told who to be by the people around us, our our family and friends, often with good intentions, but usually out of brokenness. Jesus dealt with the same thing. John 8, 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? So, like, in today's language, we kind of, like, 
can throw that word around a little bit, not really understanding what they were accusing Jesus of. So at this point, Jesus had done a lot of work. He had done a lot of miracles. There have been all these amazing things happening. And so they couldn't really deny that part. And so he was either the Messiah or he was a magician and he worked for the devil. That's, and so they're basically saying, you're a son of Satan. That's who you are. You're not a son of God. You don't, you don't, you don't understand us. You're, you're, not, you're not the Messiah. You're not the son of man. You're, you're, you're a devil. That's what they were saying to him. How many times have we, have we experienced being labeled something that we are not? Yeah, it happened with Jesus all the time. This wasn't the only occurrence of it. And then they called him a Samaritan, which was more an insult. Are you half-breed? What do you know? That's basically what they were saying. Many that Jesus encountered had already made their minds up of who he was. Do you know what that's like? I think some of you do. Even his brothers... The people closest to him didn't believe who he was. John 7, 35. 3 through 5, sorry. Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And that's really hard when those closest to you don't even recognize who you are. It can be devastating. And it's easy to spend a lot of time working to prove yourself, to prove you're not who others say you are, to prove you are who you believe yourself to be, to prove that you belong. And it's heartbreaking when those close to you don't actually believe in that. So when I was a kid, I, I, I can't remember what age, somewhere between 8 and 12. I had made a decision. I said, I'm going to break all the stereotypes. I said, I am not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be what everyone expects when they look at me. And I worked really hard to do that. I worked really hard. I, I worked harder than anyone else in every job that I had, in every encounter I had, with the language that I used, with the, to, to show my intelligence, to show my capability, to show my worthiness. I worked really hard. You weren't going to place me with the rest. I wasn't going to be that statistic. And I'm like, was really believing that I was doing it. I was breaking those stereotypes. Until that one day, when this person just couldn't see beyond my color, and had already made up his mind of who I was, 
and decided to cause me harm because he knew who I already was. And that moment just broke me. Because for years, I'm like, I've done everything right. I have shown what I am capable of. And then I realized I cannot change the heart of another man. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, people are going to see what they want to see. I just, God dang, just stop trying. You don't have to. I know who you are. You know who you are. So be that. And we all face that at some level, some more than others. But we have to stop trying to affect everyone else's perception and just be sons and daughters of the Most High in the identity that he made us, in the way that he created us, just be that. And so I stopped trying to adjust the things about me that I thought were going to be too hard for people. And just, you know what, I'm going to be me. And I'm going to let the things that define my, my culture that are still in me be that. And I don't have to change that. I don't have to hide that because I'm God's son. Jesus didn't have to prove himself because he knew who his father was and was just focused on doing what he was called to do. We don't have to prove ourselves either, but to truly embody our identities as sons and daughters of God, to truly break free from the box everyone else wants to put you in, it requires conscious effort and continual recentering. Take that energy that you use into proving who you are and channel it into this place of just finding that rest and that identity in the Savior. And maybe you're not affected by that, but I know I have been and, and continue to be. And so I have to continually chip away at that. So as we delve further into the life of Jesus in this book, I want to look at another, another major part of his journey. John 6, 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He withdrew. He got away from everyone to be alone, to, to, to commune with God. And it says again, he withdrew again. This is something that he did over and over again. He had time and space for it. It was in these places that Jesus spent time with and nurtured his relationship with God. Let's look at John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it 
said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. So I bring up this passage because of the implication of what's happening here. The implication is that this wasn't news to Jesus, that he heard this before, that he understood what was happening, and that he knew what he was supposed to go. The implication being that he found this out in his time with God. And that time is so important. Time with, time with in our relationship with God is, is not like a morning meeting and let me get my marching orders for the day. It's an environment of just being and, and hanging out with God as, as he did in the beginning with Adam and Eve. And, and Genesis, it says that God would come in the cool of the day and walk with them. Have you ever just like had a long walk or a drive with a friend? What are you doing in that moment? Are you like performing? Are you, like, doing your, your duty? No, you're just hanging out. This is what God wants. Look, study is important. Worship is important. Absolutely, all those things. But being, that's, that's really important. It's here that we learn how to be less and make Christ more. It's here where our identity takes shape. I just remember several years back, the Lord said, hey, let's just stop reading. Let's just, let's, let's just hang out right now and just, and just be. I was like, okay. So what do you want me to do while I'm being? It can be a little hard sometimes up here. It's like, no. Just be with me right now. Oh, okay. So like right now, and then, and then later we're going to do some reading together, and, like, and, and then we can like, you know, do some studying. <laughs> like, no. Just be with me. I just want to hang out with you. And I'm telling you right now, that's all God wants to do with you, is just hang out with you. You know, I would spend a lot of time praying and, and studying and reading and but there are times when it just it felt like homework. And like my goals were, how do I do more of this so that I can be good enough for God? And then through a particular process and a journey that I went through, I realized I could actually connect with God in other ways. And so all of a sudden, my prayer time stopped being in like a room at 6 o'clock in the morning with my lights off. And all of a sudden, I started taking walks and just praying, being with God in nature. And it was amazing. Like, I could just experience him like I had never had before. And I realized this is what he was talking about. That I don't have to do these things to make him, like, be next to me. That he, he just will. And so, 
That doesn't mean you go take a walk and pray. It means you find what, however you connect with God the most and do that. And you will be surprised what happens. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So this imagery of vine and branches is so powerful. It's such a clear picture of Christ as our source, just as Christ had God as his source. The idea here is we must stay connected. And it's not this ritualistic thing. I have to pray so many times a week in order to earn God's grace. That's not what it is. No, what's happening here is that the life we're looking for, the life that thrives, the life of the ages that comes as we stay connected to the source, we can embody. When we shift our approach, it actually becomes fun, not dreaded, because we want to be there. This should also make us think about what other vines we're connected to. What has a hold on us that's preventing us from being connected to the true vine. Sometimes it's things that we love to do and be a part of. And a lot of these things are usually good things. They're not like these destructive habits. They're often good things. But they can end up being too good because they end up being our source of life. And we're actually missing out on on what God has. I've always been just the I had to do multiple things. In college, no, I mean, I had like five side hustles. Like I couldn't just go to college and like do all that stuff. Like I, just, I had to be consistently active. That was just, that's just the way my mind works. So I just get bored. So I got to like continually engage. <laughs> and so as I started walking more with Christ and, and, and doing more things and kind of work, walking into leadership, I realized, man, I'm, I'm running out of time. <laughs> and so... I had to give something up, but I really didn't want to. <laughs> I, just, I really wanted to hold on to it because I loved it, and it was fun, and it was good. And, and it's, like, it's like the Lord saying, you don't think I'll replace that? Like, you don't think that the life that I have for you in this place over here will give you that same life, if not more? See, like, that's like the mindset we have. Like, this thing I'm doing, whatever it is, like, it gives me something. And if I, like, if I run over and do this, what, what, what God is doing over here, I won't have that anymore. But that's just not God. And I've learned over and over again, every time I've had to give up something, whatever I've taken on that he's given me, it's given me everything I've needed that that replaced and more. So much more life. But sometimes it's risky and it's scary to like let those things go. And I only made it halfway through, so we will continue on (laughs) next week. Let's look at some practical tips. Let me find them since there's a whole bunch of other slides here. Okay. Create a list of things, of the things throughout the day and week that drain you and the things that give you life. Where is God in both lists. 
So it's, it's, it's unreasonable to think we're going to like get rid of all the things that drain us, right? I mean, but often we're doing things that are draining that God's like, oh, I don't know why you're doing that. <laughs> and so I, I want us to, 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 to make those lists, and I want us to really look at both of them and begin seeking God on both of those lists. Like, okay, where is God here? Where, where is God there? And so, because there could be good things that God also isn't in that we need to say, okay, do I need to give this up? There are draining things that God's not in that we can just like, yeah, goodbye. <laughs> I could use that energy. <laughs> yeah? So I want you to make those lists, and I want you to spend some time actually working through that. <laughs> All right, number two. After each day this week, reflect back on it and ask yourself, did I become less so Jesus could become more? Or was it the other way around? And now look, this isn't a time as you reflect for like guilt and like shaming yourself. Like, oh, I messed up like 14 times today. <laughs> I'm bad. Like, no, that's not what it is. It's being able to look back and say, you know what? I did, I did less there. That, that, that was cool. Thank you, God, for allowing me to do that. I want to do that more. Oh, I was much more. <laughs> today. And I don't want to do that. I want Jesus to be more in my life and in the lives of those around me. So how can I, how can I do that, God? How can I become less right now? Show me specifically what happened today that, that will allow me to become less. And he will. But creating the space for that is what's going to be needed so that we can ask those questions and so that we can make that progress. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, um, let's stand. We're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna sing a song right now as we prepare our hearts um, for some ministry time.